A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, you're listening to a new episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. That's right. I'm back, baby. Here we go. Let's talk the marvels. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. And welcome back, my friend, Popcorn Podcast. We are back, baby. How does it feel? Did you miss me? I did, just a little bit. Il poquito. How about you, listener? Did you miss me? Of course they did. <laughs> of course they did. I'm really excited to have you back on because it feels only like yesterday that we we had you on. I had you on as a guest on Popcorn Pals to talk Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. That's right, that's right. And since I've been away, you've had a cavalcade of amazing guest hosts sitting in my chair. And I think, wait a minute, it's a bit warm and squishy. Who was, who was, is there a... Is there a lolly wrapper in here? Who was in the chair last? What's going on? <laughs> they were just keeping your seat warm because we always knew that we'd be back together after a short hiatus. You um, making a bear bear and all those all those really lovely life things. Yeah, you know, no big deal. Just had a little project on the go, making a human <laughs> as you do. Which will go on for many, many more decades <laughs> oh, God uh, to help come. Me. <laughs> God help me. All right, let's get down to business. Okay. In the Marvels. 
Carol Danvers, aka Captain Marvel, has reclaimed her identity and taken revenge on the Kree's supreme intelligence. But the unintended consequences see Carol shouldering the burden of a destabilised universe. When her duties send her to a wormhole linked to a Kree revolutionary, her powers become entangled with that of Jersey City superfan Kamala Khan, also known as Miss Marvel, and Carol's estranged niece, now a Sabre astronaut, Captain Monica Rambo. Together, this trio must learn to work together to save the universe as the Marvels. Directed by Nia DaCosta of the recent Candyman film, The Marvels is from a screenplay by DaCosta, Megan McDonnell, who brought us WandaVision as one of the writers, and Alyssa Karasik, uh, who also wrote for Loki. So these writers are all embedded in in the lore of the MCU, Mm. or the recent MCU anyway. Which shows, and we'll get to that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The film stars Brie Larson, Teona Paris, Iman Vellani, Samuel L. Jackson, and Zawe Ashton. Now, before we get into our take on the Marvels, Mm. I have to admit, put my hand up, that the thing that I was most excited about seeing this film wasn't necessarily the film, but it was where we saw the movie. Mm. Now, thanks to Disney, Lee and I got to experience the brand new reopened IMAX Sydney location, which had been closed for some, gosh, like seven or eight years or something outrageous. Forever. So how was that experience for you finally getting to experience IMAX again after so long? I was so excited and oh my God, the quality of the detail of the films on the big screen. We saw a preview for Disney's Wish before we watched the film and the animation detail on that scale Mm. was just mind-blowing. I know, I was I was giggling because you tapping me on the shoulder going, look at the quality, look at the quality of the picture. <laughs> look this at the amazing. face, look at the freckles, look at that. <laughs> I don't know whether it was in part because we were actually quite close to the screen, which can be somewhat overwhelming when you're seeing yeah. IMAX, but I think we found the sweet spot for this experience nonetheless. And also I think the Marvels wasn't made for IMAX and so mm. it didn't really take up the full screen. It was bigger on a bigger screen obviously, but it doesn't actually stretch to the full IMAX experience. Yeah, you kind of had the top and the bottom of the big mm. IMAX screen unutilised, which is very normal because, as you said, it wasn't shot, quote-unquote, in IMAX like a lot of Christopher mm. Nolan movies are. So it didn't take up the whole real estate, but it was still a pretty big chunk of real estate yeah. in front of you, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so, Tim, where do we start with the Marvels? Hmm. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? <laughs> a very good place to start. Uh, maybe the first thing to sort of put in context is that this is the 33rd film within mm. the MCU. So yep. there's been quite a few movies now uh, before this one. It's also the sequel to the 2019 film, which first mm. introduced us to Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Uh, Captain Marvel, Brie Larson, um, mm-hmm. in the lead up to – was it in the lead up to Endgame or was it after Endgame? No, lead up to Endgame. That's mm. right. It's all a bit of an alphabetic soup, isn't it, in terms of trying to remember yeah, where they yeah. all fell in the timeline, right? <laughs> exactly. In terms of the chronological order of the films, she's the second mm. film that you watch in the MCU, isn't she, after Captain America? That's right, because it was set in the 90s and the mm. one before that was Captain America set around yeah. World War II or whatever. So you're right, yes, in terms of chronological – she was meant to be the second film that you saw, despite it being the 20-something mm. in the overall scope of the whole franchise. <laughs> On one hand, in terms of the story this far into the films, as you said, mm. the 33rd film, 
I thought it was great that they're, they're working with these characters and where they would be in terms of their development in Phase 5. Like they really honour Captain Marvel's development thus far. And I liked the fact that, you know, Carol works alone. But she isn't an isolated mm. loner. She wants people in her life. She wants that connection. You know, they didn't go mm. down the whole old broken hero trope where she's yeah. she's off on her own and nobody can understand her pain and blah, blah, blah. Like she's been through a lot, but mm. she's also had time to work through it and they honoured that. And so we've tuned in to see further development. And I think that's where things start to stumble a little bit. There are some missed opportunities here in the story to lean into the heart of of the story Mm. because it's, you know, without giving too much away, it's a bit overstuffed with musical numbers and comedy (laughs) gags, not as bad as, you know, the Thor films. Yeah. But, you know, I never thought I'd hear the line, stop running, let the flurkin eat you (laughs) in a Marvel (laughs) film. (laughs) There there were some really surprising additions to this one that I'm just going to call out that you mentioned. Mm. Is this the first MCU musical that we've we've ever got? (laughs) There's quite an extended scene, which is really surprising with the race of people whose language is song. I quite liked the fact that it took some leaps and bounds and did some pretty weird things that included. Do you think that within the overall tone of balancing drama and funniness do you think Mm. they got it right it's a really tricky line to walk and i think at the moment Mm. marvel's leaning into the comedy more than the heart and that Mm. diminishes the stakes of what you're watching i think like this could have been a really important and tense film because yet there's another annihilator coming in ready to destroy the universe Mm. and they kind of just go well people don't really care about that but like we do we want to fear for these characters' lives. We want to feel the emotional heart of the film and all the hallmarks of a Marvel film are here. You've got the fun, it's action-packed, a few cameos thrown in, it's got a cool soundtrack. Although I will say leaning on memories for a scene with like so many cats was was cheesy and they really hammered it in. They did. Yeah, they didn't hold back. It was almost the version of cats that we didn't know that we needed like as an isolated thing I was like fuck what is going on this is absolutely (laughs) insane but then if you put it within the context of that movie and how there was there was a lot of heart that was just briefly touched on it wasn't Mm. developed especially between Carol and Monica yes there was some really beautiful moments of character development feeling that uh, like themes of abandonment and things like where, where has Captain Marvel been? What's her relationship been like? You know, all those things we asked after Endgame, where has Carol Danvers been? What has she been doing? Do you think we got all the answers and they were, they were sort of brought to the table well enough here? No, I don't think so. And to answer Mm. your earlier question, I think in terms of the runtime, because this is quite a short runtime in terms of a Marvel film, it was an hour and a half or something, is that right? Uh, It was like an hour and 38 minutes or something. So in terms of the runtime and the amount that they're trying to squish in, when when you said, you know, balancing the humour and the different tones, it it didn't need to be so much going on in such a short film. And I think that stuff comes at the expense of really diving into the heart and and upping those stakes of, Mm. of what's going on in the film. And, you know, they, one thing I did actually 
really like is that they demonstrated early on how easy it is for Captain Marvel to win a fight, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's been largely underutilised in the Marvel Universe. I think we can all agree on that, apart from her introduction in her first film and that was about her coming into her powers. So we never really got to see the full extent until mm. sort of the end of Avengers Endgame. And she sort of came in and – but they couldn't utilise her too much because then the stakes of Avengers Endgame wouldn't be believable. Exactly. She's been mostly cameos so far. Mm. And I was just so looking forward to her having her own vehicle again and pushing her story – forward but she almost took a back seat in this film which is weird considering that her character development is the catalyst for this story yeah so it's like they went here we are off and running with this plot point about carol sort of setting a chain of events in in motion that are going to destroy the universe and then they kind of step back from that and it's the Miss Marvel and Monica Rambo show, which look I have no problem with because they were fantastic. But I was really looking forward to seeing Carol Danvers' story furthered. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I knew that there were some concerns going into this when they didn't stick to just simply, just from how the, the film is perceived, is that it wasn't called Captain Marvel 2 or Captain Marvel and something else. It was called mm. The Marvel. So she was diminished to being part of a trio all of a sudden when we really barely got to know her as yeah. her own individual standalone uh, significant player within the MCU. Just to build on your point, this movie is trying to, just like Phase 5 of the MCU is doing leading to God knows where, is bringing in all these other flavours and elements from other TV shows and films. We have Monica Rambeau, who we last saw in WandaVision from a couple of years ago, a brilliant character, a great series. Mm. Uh, It's set up really interesting things. Then we have Kamala Khan from the Ms. Marvel TV series, which again Mm. was one of my favourite ones of the recent TV series. So we've got two great products here coming together within an undercooked superhero already. But then I think what really worked against it, uh, not only trying to weave in too many players, was the fact, and I actually can't believe I'm saying this, I think that the runtime worked against it, it being too Mm. lean. They really needed to make it. I think this one really deserved being that two-hour, two-hour, ten-minute film, unlike many others that just – overstay their welcome this one needed more screen time especially with three lead characters exactly yeah and also throw in nick fury who kind of seems like a bit of a bumbling buffoon at the moment he's just running around not knowing what the hell was going on i found that really frustrating (laughs) the money that he rakes in from his bit parts in all these films samuel l jackson he must just be rolling in (laughs) he's the most expensive cameo ever (laughs) he just does it with one eye open as well he's just cruising through To touch on your point earlier about there's so many rich themes here that could have been explored in more detail with the the Mm. themes of abandonment between Carol and and Monica, Kamala Khan discovering what it really means to be a hero. I mean, she's she's been sort of your your local neighbourhood crime fighter, just like Spider-Man, like lower levels, and now she's coming up into the upper echelons and really understanding what the stakes are. And there was so much to explore there. And I tell you what, the, the actresses did the most phenomenal job with what they had, absolutely. And I don't think it's any fault of the filmmakers, to be honest, or the script. Mm. It's probably at this point collateral damage of the Marvel machine, I think. Yeah, which is a real shame, isn't it? Because you have the injection of 
really exciting up and coming filmmakers like Nia da Costa, mm-hmm. as some of you may know, has worked with Tiana Paris before in, in the Candyman sequel, reboot, mm-hmm. requel, whatever yeah. you want to call it. So there were some really exciting pairings in in the creative and people working behind the scenes. And you wonder, you wonder like what you're watching. Are you watching something that comes with a, a unique flair or is bringing in these filmmakers just a headline to keep people somewhat interested? But mm. they all end up being the products of their own machine. Just It's got Kevin Feige written all over it and it's just yeah. setting up the next thing. Yeah. It's just a vessel for what is to come and we still don't know. <laughs> I think there's two camps that Marvel films fall into. It's the uh, origin story, which are usually done really well, and then they become the sequel stepping stones to just what comes next. And Mm. this one is falling into that category more than the first, unfortunately. And Mm. it's disappointing, I think. What did you think of Brie Larson's performance coming back into Harold Danvers after so long? Yeah, look, the first thing... I want to call out with that question is I, I don't really understand the hate that Brie Larson receives for her no. portrayal as Captain Marvel. It's really bizarre. I don't understand it. She's such a talented actor. She is really good. And I really liked in the first one the balance of her sort of sarcasm and her quick whips mm. and the relationship she has with Nick Fury played out really, really well in Captain Marvel. In this one, I think they, just like with the MCU like you alluded to earlier, they dial up the comedic side of it and Mm. she's quite a talented comedic actress I liked her timing it was a Mm. bit of fun but I think uh despite I really liked her performance uh, physically and and what she played out emotionally there there wasn't enough for her as you said she was kind of pushed aside right because there are too many other big players in there yeah she slips into the character really easily at this point Mm. and you can feel really comfortable watching her and believable watching her as as Captain Marvel but yeah she doesn't get a chance to work with a lot. And as I said, we've waited for this character for so long. She's an annihilator who can win any fight with just like one easy punch or, or mm. two maybe. But one thing I do want to bring up, I did kind of mention this to you in the film I think, but they hint again at Carol's sexuality ah. with a nice little cameo that I don't want to reveal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell me, why won't they just go there? What is the problem? That's such a good question. Is it a matter of have they gone there and it's just so subtle and we're still questioning it, or do you, we Why? need more? Why make it right? so subtle? Mm. I know exactly the scene you're talking about. It's quite obvious, but where in the first one do they tease on her sexuality? It doesn't really scream to me. Thinking about they it, they don't. I think it was more um, the comic book character and the and the okay. sort of fans are familiar with that. Like she's yeah, she's known to be bisexual. I think. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Right, and and also the fact that they're in neither of the films has there been a man at the centre that she's kind no. of falling over or that they're falling over each other, which is yeah. refreshing because what you get here is a film, despite its flaws, is three women in various stages of them knowing who they are and their place in the world with their powers and, and what their purpose mm. is and their moral sort of qualms. It's so fucking great to see three women kicking ass mm. together. I just, I just love it. Absolutely. As we've said before as well, Tiona Paris, who we've been lucky enough to welcome on Popcorn Podcast previously for Candyman, and Aman Valani are just the standout and heart of this film, 100%. It seems, like I said before, as though they've sidelined Carol a little bit in favour of these two, but, Mm. you know, the balance could have been there a bit more, but they do such a great job. Kamala Khan 
played by Iman Vellani, learns how to make impossible choices, as I said, and what it mm. really means to be a hero. And can you believe that before Miss Marvel, she had never acted before? You know what? It's astonishing. This is her feature film debut and Ms. Marvel was her first TV series. When you say that, I'm like, you're joking because she's got such great screen presence. She yep. t- clearly takes direction really well and she's got such great like comedic timing and the way that mm. she balances her performance off two really heavyweight actors is really astonishing. Yeah, because one moment she's fangirling over Captain Marvel, the other minute she's dealing with her family and the frustrations of that. And she really brings that continuity of her character from the TV series into this film while Mm. also growing as a character and and being thrust into this world where she has to make really big choices. Mm. And she handles it with such grace, the character. And the actress portrays that so well. It's just, it's incredible to watch. Despite some of her energy being that youthful sort of injection, which is heightened and a bit melodramatic at times, it works. It's not a criticism. Mm. There is some really nice nuance to her performance as well as, like Mm. you said, she's kind of discovering what it is to be a hero. She's trying to get her head around the fact that she can't save everyone. And and that's the thing that we need to understand about heroes is that they literally can't solve every problem, but they have to do Mm. their best. Uh, I'm really excited to see her future involvement in the franchise and they do set a few things up uh, in this movie, which is great, and I'm Mm. on board with it all the way. Yeah, can't wait to see more from Kamala Khan. She's a great character. I think it's one of my favourite new characters within uh, the new phase for sure. The villain of the piece, shall we talk about her? That's Tom Mm. Hiddleston's partner who plays Loki, obviously, Zawe Ashton, yes. I didn't know that. Yes, they have a child together. Holy shit. Okay, whoa, that's crazy. The more you know. The more you know. (laughs) who we saw in Mr. Malcolm's List and we interviewed the director, Emma Holly-Jones, on our podcast as well. Yes, that's right. Zawe plays Da Ben, who is a Cree revolutionary. Is that correct? Mm. She's trying to bring her people back together and into prosperity after what Mm. Captain Marvel may or may not have done in her plight (laughs) to save the universe. (laughs) Um, What did you think of the character design for this and and the performance of of Zawe Ashton? Character design was cool. I really liked what they did did with her teeth. I know that's really specific, but I thought that was a really interesting layer to the design of the character. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to talk about that. I was I was interested in why they make choices like that that make it harder for you to understand the character sometimes. Like mm. to to clarify for you listener, Darben has some silver fillings or whatever between her teeth. And I, I looked into it a little bit and Zawe Ashton actually has quite a big gap between her two front teeth and they filled it with the silver in this film. And she's spoken previously in interviews about about growing up and being told that she'll never get work because of the big gap in between her teeth. And I was thinking, okay, so I can see why they've done it because maybe it was a bit distracting and they've made that character choice. But is that that disappointing? Because Now that I know that, I, I think that's disappointing. Did it make it harder for her to fully embody this character? Like I didn't feel the fear of this villain and... I don't think it was down to her performance. Mm-mm. I think it was either the character design or it was just that it wasn't given enough room to really breathe and, and they didn't raise the stakes enough. And what, what do you think it was? Yeah, look, I feel that in part the shorter runtime impacted us with getting an undercooked villain again within the MCU. Mm. I think that she brought a really good performance to the 
minimal screen time that she had and mm. the opportunity she had to justify the means of what she was there to do. I think what I find really interesting about the whole Cree versus Carol Danvers, just to fill in some context, like the Cree were the ones that arguably gave Carol her powers and brought her in and sort of mm. manipulated her and in, in understanding and knowing the truth. And I find it really interesting that the Cree are, again, the sort of villains in her sequel, but they don't reference her connection to the Cree very much. There's It doesn't offer much weight or, or significance to it, despite mm. their incredible importance in the first movie. Mm. And therefore, like, Darben doesn't really come with much, mm. unfortunately. It's just, just another undercooked villain that has yeah. something, to, shakes fist at the sky, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then she kind of gets beaten, <laughs> you know? And I was confused by her weapon too, which I can't remember the name of right now, but mm. the we- the weapon, they mention her predecessor, which is obviously Ronan the Destroyer, played by Lee Pace in The Guardians mm. of the Galaxy. And in that film, didn't they destroy that weapon by taking the stone out of it? Yeah, it got, it got destroyed. But did they make reference then, just thinking off the top of my head, that it got restored in some way and then she wields that weapon or it's, or it's another oh. one? It's like a sister weapon? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But they reference, yeah, like as you said, the Kree are quite important in the Marvel universe in terms mm. of uh, either villains or or story plot points, and and it maybe it wasn't referenced enough to to discuss. And they kind of touch on that whole refugee situation between the Skrulls and the Kree, and mm. who's really the bad guy. It's that culture clash that we see in real life now with what's mm. going on over in um, Palestine and and Gaza, and that whole cultures clashing with each other that's been simmering under its secret invasion and, and all mm. these other kind of Marvel films, but they never really fully go there, do they? No. And so that leads me to ask you, have you seen Secret Invasion, the TV series? Yes, I have. Okay, can you help me understand, obviously without spoiling, because I've no idea what really goes on in that, where in the timeline does the Marvels fall in context of Secret Invasion? Before, after? That's such a good question and I actually don't know because I thought it was after, but the fact that Nick Fury is up on the space station makes me think that it's beforehand. Right. Maybe yeah. someone can shed some light on that for us. Because <laughs> I think that's important because the Skrull are integral to that series and I find it really strange that they're kind of, without a lack of a better expression, they seem like the damsels in distress in this and they're just like, oh, oh help us, what do we do? And I'm like, but what happens in Secret Invasion in, in context and is it before or after and what significance does that have or impact to the story? So, yeah, I just thought, I just don't know. I don't know the answer and whether that would make a difference to how I took in the Marvels, for example. So I just looked it up quickly, and it does seem like it falls after Secret Invasion and, and Nick Fury's popped back up onto the Sabre space station with uh, Monica Rambo. Okay, and how does that make you feel now that you've joined those dots? Does Secret Invasion lose some weight behind it? Does, does the Marvels then kind of light and fluffy it a bit too much. I don't know. It seems like Secret Invasion had heavy stakes, high stakes in it. It did, yeah, it did. But then it picks up, like I said, it picks up that thread of the culture clash between the Skrulls and the and the Kree and the war that's going on and then just like drops it whenever they want. They kind of pick it up and drop it and it's not really, it's not really a story at the forefront. But then what is the story, the at, story the at the forefront? <laughs> yeah, for Phase 5, what is... What are we working towards? That is the million dollar question. We're meant to be working towards he who remains, Jonathan Mm -hmm. Majors. Mm -hmm. Uh, But 
In terms of Loki, have you watched season two of Loki yet? I've only watched part of episode one, so I'm quite behind. They've set him up at the end of Loki as this huge villain and then in Ant-Man and the Wasp, they touched on it again and then you think, okay, they, they, they're going to move into it in Loki season two and he's barely utilised. Right. So I don't know that we're feeling this great big villain. I mean, maybe they're undecided about where they're going to go now. Yeah, which seems mildly concerning because even with that direction and even calling one of the future Avengers movies, Kang Dynasty, there doesn't seem to be much of a direction within this no. franchise anymore. And if they're if they're second-guessing themselves, then fuck me, what's going to happen now? And this is the problem with focus grouping the films and the direction of the MCU, which they do. They, they take the temperature of, of the audience and the fans mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily change the whole direction. Like it's not a Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> situation where they redesign the character completely. But they most definitely take the temperature of the water into consideration when, they, when they're planning where these movies are going to go. And I think they mm. should just really make the plan and stick to it. Because then some threads get left loose and people don't know what's going on. And this is why we're in phase five with the Marvel fatigue, as they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still really love a Marvel film. I really enjoy it. It doesn't have the same oomph that it used to, for sure. Mm. But, you know, when are we going to see more films like Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings and um, even The Eternals, like something mm. unique? But where do they fit? In the timeline now. Well, they feel so long ago, you almost forget about them. It's hard. Like, I, I really don't know how to answer that question because I have so many things running through my head. And it's like a family tree with branches falling off uh, and you're sticky taping <laughs> it together. And it's like, that's not how trees work. So I'm, <laughs> I'm really not sure how. I, look, I've just got to instill some sort of trust and patience, but it's wearing yeah. thin. And I think that's a mm. sentiment that is felt by our listener as well. That's the problem with this universe becoming so big and so many wheels turning at once. And then they introduce the uh, multiverse and God help us, the possibilities become endless, but maybe that's not a good thing. My brain hurts. And then it's almost like, okay, if they really do end up quote unquote nailing the multiverse and parallel universes and third dimensions, and I just really don't know what I'm talking about or understanding what I've seen uh, to date is where do you go from there? Like, I I know we're still trying to figure out what's happening now, but I also can't help myself by trying to figure out where do they go after they go down a multiverse story? What's what's left? What are the pieces of the story, the potential for Mm -hmm. character and uh, Avengers threats uh, moving forward? Because it all seems like quite small in comparison mm. potentially it, Who knows? it's a hard thing i guess because in the terms of the comic books there's infinite universes and worlds and stories and characters are reincarnated and played by different people and mm. you know the capacity for you to believe that in terms of a comic book mm. is just infinite but why is it when it comes to making it into a film you need more focus yeah that's a that's a bloody good question and i think marvel are realizing that that it's not just turning pages of a comic book and things looking cool back at you and, oh, that's a really cool mm. concept. Like, it has to be cohesive um, yeah. and they have to talk to each other. And right now, it's a game of Chinese whispers that is going horribly wrong. Mm. Well, I would say the opposite. I think they're trying to talk to each other too much and placing too much focus on that. Instead of making these films, mm. standalone films that are really exciting and enticing to watch about these characters. Some Fair characters, point. like I said, just get used as a stepping stone into the mm. next 
film and setting up the rest of the phase when it just really would be good to just be a standalone film. I agree with that okay. point. Let them live and breathe, stand on their own two feet yes. for a hot minute. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Exactly. <laughs> Let's move on to the action and the effects because they were totally on point in this film, the best bit about the film, I think. Mm. Um, and what was great about seeing this film was seeing the Marvels working together like a well-oiled yeah. machine, anticipating each other's moves and working together. The choreography was just outstanding. I think the plot device of them out of their control, swapping their powers and where they were in the space, like literally physically teleporting to where the other mm. person was, was just so exciting from a choreography point of view mm. and how it was shot and edited together. And it also served as a vehicle to understand each of our heroes' powers, individual powers, because mm. they were not only trying to learn each other's and why and how they were talking to each other through the teleportation, uh, but it also got you to lean in to figure out where their strengths and maybe weaknesses were and how they used their power in the space. So it was a super exciting changed in terms of an action perspective that we haven't mm. seen before. It's really cool. And also how they needed to anticipate each other's moves and, and yeah. to be able to, when they switched. When I first saw the trailer and, and we figured out what this movie was going to be about, I was worried it was going to become a Freaky Friday, silly, <laughs> you know, like camp kind of yeah. film. And I, But the way, like you said, the way they shot it and the way they brought those elements together was actually done really, really, really well. Mm. And that comes down to the filmmaker's choices, Nia DaCosta's choices, and also, as I said, the choreography of, um, I think it was Joe McLaren, who's done Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and mm. Heart of Stone with Gal Gadot. She's a really talented stunt performer who's now become a coordinator. She should really be applauded for her work here. Yeah, uh, just to highlight the craftsmanship of this movie, uh, it would have been an absolute headache storyboarding and pre-visualising and then filming mm. those sequences. So I think that's where really exciting talent comes to the forefront, like you mentioned, Anita Costa and, and the stunt woman, you know, that, that that's what really shines in these projects sometimes and it was yeah. really exciting to see. It was really, really good. What did you think about the special effects? There's always a cast of thousands that works on these films and mm. I understand there was there was a lot of reshoots and things done over the years too, wasn't there? There's was a lot of tweaking to this film. You, you know, I, you see a pattern, don't you? You see a pattern mm. to the films that don't quite resonate, the ones that have been reshot to death and tweaked mm. to within an inch of their life, you can tell. And you could tell things felt a little disjointed, yeah. Mm, yeah, from here and there. I mean, reshoots and pickups are really common in cinema, but I think one of the biggest focuses and and obvious elements of the MCU is how often and to the extent that that is happening here. It's clear mm. that they don't have their house in order and they're being reactive to those focus groups and how people react to previous movies and they mix and change things up. Uh, and I think it's to their detriment. But mm. uh, from a effects perspective, to be honest... 
I was actually quite surprised at how good they were. In yeah. in the MCU recently, some of the effects have been a little God, is that an unfinished trailer that accidentally made it into the finished <laughs> product? Um, there were some Uncanny Valley moments where they used CGI people yeah. flying in and landing in places, which was disappointing. But all in all, the effects looked pretty striking to me. Yeah, and the thing is, watching it on an IMAX screen is very unforgiving. Mm. So if things are not done very, very well, you can see it. Tim, look at the quality of the script. Look at the picture. Oh, my God, you can see so much. <laughs> That's exactly <Shut> it. <laughs> I was just excited by your excitement. Yes. <laughs> I want to talk about the uh, costumes as well. Mm. Costumes by Lindsay Pugh. Do you think it's functionality over look these days? You know, in terms of like superhero costumes, they're notoriously uncomfortable for the actors mm. to wear. How I can back to... Uh, who was it that was complaining about the suit? Was it George oh, like Clooney? Or literally Dark every Kilmer? Batman ever <laughs> until Christian Bale was like, can I move my fucking neck, please? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. So, yeah, because fair enough, these, these costumes can be a bit stiff, but they're starting to look a bit cheap and like they're mm. not really capable of stopping bullets. I know they lean on that whole nanotechnology kind of thin whatever, yes. but it, it just didn't look quite right. Well, there are so many costumes in this film, it becomes a bit of an assault on the senses. And this was something that you did raise, you know, when when we had a drink after we saw the movie where you were like, "Is are we getting too, like, colourful? And is, is it, it looks not real and it's a bit sort of uh, mm. Thor, Love and Thunder where it just looks, <laughs> yeah, it looks cheap, like you said. And I had a bit of an underwhelming reaction to when the three heroes sort of were given their latest version of their yes. costumes. Which is a trademark moment of these Marvel films when they step into a new iteration of their costume. Yeah, which I love. It And it is meant to be cheesy, take it with a grain of salt. But when those costumes, outfits presented themselves, I thought, oh, yeah, I had the same sort of reaction. I mm. thought, they don't look very good or believable and mm. I'm not really sure what the intention is behind that design because they do look a little silly and I know that's so stupid to say. I mean, we're talking about superheroes and they're wearing things that no mm. one in their right mind in the world wears. <laughs> There's no yeah. functionality whatsoever. But it did come across a little silly in this one. Yeah, it's, it, it's funny that you say believable. <laughs> Superhero <laughs> film. Um, but, yeah, they need to, I don't know, look a bit natural. They're starting to look a bit like a onesie or something. <laughs> Like a Halloween costume. Yeah, the Avengers movie, they're all going to be wearing like Oodies or something, <laughs> fighting crime in Oodies. Oodies. Comfort. <laughs> Comfort crime fighting. Yeah, and, and, they're, and they're making bank. They're doing adverts for Oodies, the Avengers sponsored by Oody and, you know, doing yeah, TV yeah. commercials. I mean, maybe that's the direction of Phase 5 that we just don't see coming, but then yeah. we'll get it and we'll have an, the Avengers, the Oody dynasty. Who knows? Yeah, the Avengers fight commercialism. <laughs> yeah. They don't fight it. They just let it happen. They just let it happen and make bank. Good on let them. It happen. Yeah. <clears throat> Shall we wrap up our review of The Marvels, Tim? Yeah, let's give it a go, my friend. So The Marvels is mostly a harmless good time, right? The dynamic of the three female heroes is great to watch and I was excited to see Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Ms. Marvel, on the big screen finding her feet as a young hero. But despite this being, I guess, one of the quote-unquote better films in the recent assault of MCU content, it just adds yet another notch to the belt, serving as a vessel to reveal and tease something else. I sound like a broken record, but nothing really is connecting 
within the MCU and we need a new Avengers film stat to bring it home and regain its purpose and excitement in the franchise. I'm going to rate the Marvel's two and a half popcorn kernels, Lee. Well, Marvel's current tendency to lean into the silly fun, while not unwelcome, minimises the stakes and thus the audience's investment in these films. The Marvel's is certainly entertaining. I had a great time, but it's a wasted opportunity to turn a long-awaited sequel into more than a stepping stone to the next film. It's by no means the fault of the filmmakers or the cast. This is just a byproduct at this point in time of the Marvel machine. The chemistry and the performances of the three stars elevates the enjoyment of the Marvels, but unfortunately it just doesn't hit the emotional beats that it should have. I'm going to give the Marvels three popcorn kernels out of five. Nice summation. I think we're pretty much on the same mm. page there. We're still fighting the MCU fight, aren't we, Lee? We'll still <laughs> wave that I still flag. love it. Come on, I still, still love, love it. it. Especially if they throw the movies on the new IMAX yes. in Sydney every time, you'll definitely find oh. us there. Yes, 100%, 100%. I just want to say thank you for having me back, Tim. I'm very excited to be back on Popcorn Podcast. Not to say I left your text on red for long. No, but you're always (laughs) coming back. It feels so good to be sitting here talking movies with you again and in Mm. a more consistent cadence. We've got so many great movies that are coming up. Oh, yeah. The the hardest thing is to pick and choose which ones we're going Mm, to talk about. Um, But that is a very good problem to have, isn't it? It is, it is. And thank you. I have to thank you, listener, for your patience today. I'm a little bit horsey in the throat after last (laughs) night. We had a bit of a birthday party for myself. (laughs) And of course, being the extra uh, film fan that I am, it was themed 80s movies. It was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. I mean, just give you a visual idea of what it was like. Lee had a, I guess, a life-size uh, homemade <laughs> jaws cut out with a red carpet, which you can imagine what that's alluding to, that yep. you walked through. So great um, sort of photo moments there as you walked into the party yep. to yep. 80s movie-themed cocktails and the like and yes. Elliot riding around on his bike with E.T. E.T. In, in the basket. In the basket. And, <laughs> and uh, you and, and your husband turned up as a very dashing James Bond and a very sexy octopusy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I have um, said that my husband needs to put the wig away for a little while. Uh, it was a little disturbing, but he, he looked, <laughs> looked kind of good. <laughs> he was pulling it off. He was, he was. Well, uh, listen, uh, The Marvels is in Australian cinemas from November 9, so go check it out if you're a fan, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on the film too. So slide into our DMs on social media. Please do. We love to hear from you. And that's another episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. We thank you for stopping by. Thanks for listening, friends. We'll catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. Make sure you check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you. If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an About Us section and we run ticket giveaways. So keep an eye on the website for more information. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 